Well, this is class number 23 of 26 in the topic of stewardship. And today we're going to focus on the topic of stewardship of our influence. But so to kind of set the stage and get us thinking, get our juices flowing, I've uh, assembled uh, some quotes regarding influence and have you consider these. Uh, you will never influence the world by trying to be like it. You don't have to be a person of influence to be influential. In fact, the most influential people in my life are probably not even aware of the things they've taught me. That resonates with me. Maybe, maybe it does with you too. We sometimes underestimate the influence of little things. Well, is there nothing there? <laughs> I guess there's not. Oh, I know what that is. That is. Thank you. Thank you. So what's the uh, what's what's the Bob described it. What's what's the what's the message, Ella? What's the message here? One little drop can create several ripples that go farther out. All right, all right. Thank you. Influence is our inner ability to lift people up to our perspectives. You can be much more influential if people are not aware of your influence. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Blessed is the influence of one true loving human soul on another. Written back in the 1800s. <clears throat> Having influence is not about elevating self, but about lifting others. Children are more influenced by sermons you act than by sermons you preach. There is no measure for influence, only the chance to see a life exercise it. The key to successful leadership today is influence, not authority. Here's our illustration. Drop a pebble in the water and its ripples reach out far, and the sunbeams dancing on them may reflect them to a star. Give a smile to someone passing, thereby making his morning glad, it may greet you in the evening when your own heart may be sad. Do a deed of simple kindness. Though its end you may not see, it may reach like widening ripples down a long eternity. The greatness of a man is not in how much wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect those around him positively. 
Setting an example is not the main means of influencing another. It is the only means. It's easy to make a buck. It's a lot tougher to make a difference. Influence people, hopefully, on the positive side. Be around the people you want to be like because you will be like the people you are around. Good influence. Thank you. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to play a game this morning. Making my brain work. You cannot antagonize and influence, maybe for the good, <laughs> at the same time. I like that. <laughs> The secret of my influence has always been that it remained secret. <laughs> I love you not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. Okay, so uh, with that, hopefully that uh, made you think a little bit more about the idea of influence and so uh, this morning as we study this uh, topic from a biblical perspective. We want you to be able to give examples of how we influence in the areas of time, talent, and treasure to explain how it is true that we all influence and are influenced and that you'll be able to identify your own strengths and weaknesses in being an active and a passive influencer. And with that, Jesse, would you lead us in prayer? Dear God in heaven, we're grateful for this time to study together. Lord, as we talk about influence, we recognize that you have called us to be lights in a dark world. And so that people can see uh, and glorify you through our actions, through our influence. Give us wisdom. We know that you provide wisdom when we ask. So we ask constantly for wisdom as to how you would have us to live, be better, and to influence people to see you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, what did you say it means to influence someone? And um, give me some synonyms and examples. So let's let's start with let's start with synonyms for influence. Alter. <clears throat> Alter with, with an E. Mm -hmm. Power. Power. Bob. Sway. Sway. <clears throat> Affect. And then what was that other one? Motivator. Okay. Impress. Impress. 
impact. Persuade. Persuade. Guide. Encourage, rebuke, and exhort. As a noun, uh, I have authority. Ah, ah, okay. influence someone else. You want to be a, an influence. I had the word move written down. Move, yes. Goes along with exertion and yeah. impacting. <coughs> yeah. Makes me think of like inertia. You know, you've got an object that's just kind of stuck there and it needs needs it needs that nudge. Excuse me? Advise. had the two, the sign with the two arrows good choice bad choice you, know, you provide direction um, maybe you provide a little bias okay. how about an example give me an, did you have an example of uh, Influence, either influence maybe that you feel you've generated or influence that you have experienced? Joy. I think commercials influence. Oh, wow. For good and for bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, think, I, I think of infomercials and the, uh, you know, how they have a, an effect on like I think of the, it leads it can lead to impulse buying right it's like oh well, I never I never thought about that I I need that you've convinced me you know and I I I, I spent a little time last night looking at this and then decided now I'm not really going to talk about it to any great extent but the whole the whole 
idea of influence is huge today. It's probably huger than ever, right? Because how many people on social media consider themselves or are looked to as influencers? Now, evidently, that's a, that's a, I read, that's a term that was used even back in the 1600s for somebody of, of the ilk that we have today, which surprised me. Um, but yeah, all the people who, who, well, they make a living, right? And, and many make a, what the world would call a good living, uh, at influencing people, whether it's uh, because of their status, their celebrity status, and thus they have notoriety, or because of their their knowledge, and especially when it comes to a knowledge in some special niche. So, you know, kind of translate that then to, okay, do I consider myself as an influencer, and if so, to what end? Uh, give me some other examples of influence, Bob. Teaching is a little bit more active than mentoring. Okay. Okay, so the, the idea of being, uh, maybe, maybe thinking a little different terms of teaching someone versus mentoring. And I sent you, if you all saw, maybe, maybe did not, late last night. Earlier this week, I had listened to a Chris Emerson Excel Still More podcast on the topic of mentoring. And it was, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, I think, that he did that. And I just listened to it this week. And... Uh, as I reflected on this lesson, I thought, oh, it might be good if you have time to listen. That's probably about 15, 20 minutes long. Um, but yeah, the whole idea of being a mentor to somebody. What, what does that mean to you when you hear that, that term, a mentor? What, what's the first thought that comes to mind? The work environment. Okay, so you and how does that play out? What does it mean, mentor? And what does that? How does that play out in the work environment? Usually, someone with experience is guiding along a newer hire, All right. or someone to someone more inexperienced to where help them achieve goals and where they want to get to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting to think about the culture around Jesus, where like. People would gain disciples, and they would. Like, the culture was to be this spiritual mentor, and you would pick or follow yeah. the individual that you felt like was, I don't know, the best, or at least resonated with you. But I think, you know, I, I guess the equivalent then is just like maybe business leaders today. I don't, I don't know, but it's yeah. interesting to think that that was a part of the culture then. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up. I don't know where in the last year I, I had heard that same thing that it was the norm that as a person you chose who you were going to follow Jesus was different in that he chose those who would follow him and it was it was similar but different yeah yeah yes is older parenting absolutely we think of of parenting um and um and 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 the influence that we are and that we need to be uh, in the lives of our children. You think about those with more experience and you think about the, the lesser experience there. More of a definition maybe. Okay. Uh, uh, to produce an effect upon someone directly or indirectly by one's words, 
living practices and or state of being. Uh-huh. Just people observing you from afar. Kind of like the nations were supposed to look at Israel from afar. Yes. And see how blessed they were yeah. generally. Yeah. And that would be an influence on them to go see why. I thought about having us watch a, a small segment of one of the uh, Ray Vanderlaan that the world may know videos uh, because he brings out that very point vividly um, that it's arguable that God placed Israel at the crossroads of civilization so that they could be that light, that reflection of Him, that influence upon the world. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit about you know how well they did that. But then you translate that to today. Well, what, did, does God have a similar uh, intention today? And I think without a doubt the answer is yes, He does. Um, I, I I saw in my parents. I saw. Um, how they were interested and willing to help others. And in, in that regard, I would say they influenced me. They, they showed me. Uh, they gave me the example that our lives ought to be about helping others. And the, the, when I worked at the <clears throat> bank, one of the parts of the ethics section that we had to go over and over and go over again every year was talked about centers of influence um, and so if you you had to uh, be careful when you had a relationship personal or business with certain types of people like attorneys real estate agents accountants um, some other there were some others but people who by the nature of their job have the ability to influence a lot of people where they come across a lot of people mm -hmm. um, and so you had to always make sure you weren't you know, giving all the business to one and not the okay. others and, okay. and that kind of stuff and so that you didn't have that issue. But, Very good. And it's kind of interesting to wonder how you would become a center of influence other than by being in one of those professions. And, yeah, and so that makes me, again, think about, we've kind of talked around it, uh, this idea of active influencing, passive influencing, the state of being versus what you purposefully project uh, in order to influence, and, uh, and the realization that we are an influence in one way or another, probably, definitely, passively, but, you know, is there an opportunity to be more of an active influence? And depending upon the stage of your life, you know, there will be more or less, perhaps, opportunity for that. Um, yeah, I'm 58 years old, and I don't know why, but it didn't somehow dawn on me uh, until the last couple of years that I had more of an opportunity than I realized to be an active influence. Uh, yes, I was being a passive influence, for good or for bad, that was true. Um, but you know, with, with age, with experience, whatever arena that may be talking about, you have the opportunity and maybe 
arguably the responsibility to influence even actively without, you know, without overdoing it, perhaps. So there is that balance issue. Okay, let's uh, let's look at some scriptures. Uh, first, let's look at 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3. So if you'll open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3. And we'll read some text here and let's talk about um, how we are or are not to be an influence upon others and be thinking about this idea of, well, is this, is this maybe more talking about active or passive or um, thinking also then about how each of us will be an influence and will be influenced. <clears throat> so, uh, Sarah, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 20. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you, mo- you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a a king as the one in authorities, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. But what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patient and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, Heather, if you would, chapter 3, let's just read the first seven verses of that chapter. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, the wearing and wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, 
and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So there are a lot of situations, uh, circumstances in this uh, text that I think speaks to uh, influence. And uh, what, what, do you, what do you see here about how we are or are not to influence others? What do you see? And I, I'll get you started. Um, we are to be different. We're to be different from the world. That We are to proclaim the excellencies of God. And I think that would involve uh, us doing that in an active way. And people would see that without us having to shout it from the rooftops. And thus it would also uh, be a passive influence. What else in this text do you see uh, as instructions regarding our influence? I think the passive is kind of summed up in the end of verse 12. Yeah. That they see your good deeds and glorify God. Yes. So you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're living life in a way that others see it and they see a connection to God and they glorify Him on account of the way you're living. Good. Yes, Ann. My favorite story about passive influence is one, it's a true story that Renee Geyer told me years ago. It's just really stuck with me over the years about her sister, whose name I can't remember, someone called Susan. So they were preacher kids. Their dad was a preacher, mm-hmm. and they lived in a small town in Wisconsin, but it was a really big high school because of a consolidated yeah. district. So, you know, you didn't know most of the kids in your graduating class. So, you know, like with preacher families, they eventually moved away. Well, many years later, Renee's parents were visiting the congregation that they had preached at years before. Yeah. And this young woman, um, yeah, I can't remember Renee's maiden name, but anyway, this young woman came up to the parents. She recognized the last name and uh-huh. said, do you have a daughter named Susan? And they said, yes. And she said, I went to, I graduated with her. And they said, oh, great, we'll tell her you said hi. And she said, no, she has no idea who I am, but she's the reason that I'm a believer. Oh. She said, um, when I was in high school, I just observed her, and there was something very different about her in that she wasn't dramatic like all the other, you know, like all the rest of us, yeah. and that she always seemed to have a peace about her, and when things went wrong, she didn't fall apart, and I just always watched her and always admired her, and then I went away to college in a different town, and I was really struggling with depression and just a lot of things going wrong in my life. And in the campus newspaper, there was an ad for a Church of Christ in that town. It was a totally different place. Um, you know, it was like a helpline, call yeah. us if you want to do a Bible study or whatever. And she said, it, I remembered that that was the name of the church that Susan had gone to. Huh. So I called them. And started studying with them, and they showed me Jesus. And I, you know, came to the Lord. And then wow. years later, she moved back to her hometown yeah. and identified with that congregation. And that's how she met Susan's parents. And it just really it wasn't that, I mean, 
Susan or whatever her name was, you yeah. know, didn't curse and didn't drink and do a lot of the other things that the kids did, but that wasn't what really <coughs> struck her. That wasn't the deep need that she had. What she was so, um, you know, impressed with and so amazed by what she was really searching for was that sense of peace yeah. and that calm and that, you know, she has something that is, changes the way she looks at life. I want that. Yeah. And so then later when she really needed that, you know, that all clicked. Wow. And that just really stuck with me through the years. I thought, what am I projecting to people about the difference that having Jesus in my life makes on a daily basis and the way I deal with problems and the way I, you know, look at all the turmoil going on in the world. Do people see that because I love Jesus... <coughs> that I can handle that in a whole different way. Do they see my faith and yeah. my trust? I think I look at Philippians 4 as uh, from a selfish perspective. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like, wow, that's good for me. Great for me, right? And in this case, no. Well, yes, but it is also then an opportunity to influence others. Wow, what a story. Thanks for sharing that. Hmm. Anything else you see in this text you want to bring up? Verse 15 has, um, by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. All right. So it's kind of, they're not going to be able to actually speak against you. Right, right. All right, you're reading my notes. Thank you. In 3 verse 1, it uh -huh. talks about the women winning over their unbelieving husbands without a word. Without a word. And that makes me think about how if, if we are not, if we're winning people over without even speaking to them about that thing, um, we're not... <coughs> Um, there's no hypocrisy there. I okay. Mean, okay. Someone That's right. That they need to be acting right, but then we're not actually acting right. Yeah. Is it going to influence All them right. in All the right. right way? It just but it's what 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 you see is what you get. Seeing our actions. Mm -hmm. um, Very good. good. Very good. Without a word, Jesse. You know, I I've actually seen that firsthand. Um, and just listening to Ann's story and kind of realizing that I have my own story just emphasizes how big of a deal this is. There was Jennifer's best friend in Georgia ended up struggling and ultimately dying of cancer over you know five or six years, and um, her husband had never gone to church with her. Huh. After she passed away, he started he wanted to continue to take the kids. And yeah. I mean, she was not the kind to say, you you know, you got to go. It wasn't like that at all. It was completely this this concept. But that is powerful. The fact that he even instructs them, like, specifically not to say anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it really seems to matter to God, this passive influence kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I see, I even see the same thing with, with husbands. Where, you know, there in verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to involve this <coughs> active uh, nature, but it's, it's more of how do, you, how do you deal with them? 
How do you treat them? How do you honor them? You know, especially maybe even when you're you're around others in public, and it it speaks volumes and has it has influence. Uh, let's look at First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven. Um, Jesse, can I get you to read uh, 12 through 16? 1 Corinthians 7? Yes. Yeah. 12 through 16. Yes. Uh, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, if a brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is happy to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is happy to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife because of her husband. Otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever wants a divorce, let it take place. In these circumstances the brother or sister is not bound. God has called you in peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will bring your husband to salvation? Or how do you know, husband whether you will bring your wife to salvation. Now there's a lot wrapped up in this text, I understand. But I think the concluding text that that Jesse read for us speaks to the reason why uh, Paul would instruct uh, believing and non-believing husband and wife to stay together. And it is, it is simply because of that influence. By keeping a marriage going, one spouse may be able to quote-unquote save the other. Okay? And then turn over to then to chapter 8. And now the subject matter changes from you know, a marriage relationship to this idea of food sacrifice to, to idols and Okay, is that a deal? Is it not a deal? Are there idols? Are there not idols? How should I uh, approach this matter? Um, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. Uh, Isolde, do you have that, please? But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Alright, encourage. Yeah, there it was. Yeah, encourage, as his older read, influence that we encourage. Was this was this active or passive that that we were reading? Huh? I think it's active. You think they were vocally telling somebody to go eat meat sacrificed to idols? Oh no, not in that way. Yeah. The, the influencer. He, I, I, yeah. Okay. Pass it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I think it's good to see. It's just that I'm not vocally, you know, trying to, you know, get somebody to do what I'm doing, but by my influence, 
uh, I am. Yeah. I think you just did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, Katrina. I, I think it goes back to the first passage we looked at, First Peter two sixteen, mm. um, that we live as free, but we give up that freedom to be servants of God. Okay. Okay. What What do we view as rights, and what are we What are we just uh, voluntarily willing to forego? recognizing the greater sphere of influence that we have is there in see to me this is one of the this is one of the things that would guide my thinking around the topic of drinking alcohol i know that's a study in and of itself and, and it's a decision that individuals have to make there is i don't i don't believe there is an official <laughs> biblical stance on it from an active perspective. But you think about it. You think about the influence that that has and how do I want to how do I want to flavor and direct and encourage others in that regard. Uh, and I, to me, I think that that's one of the topics you have to think about when we make decisions about how we're going to live. How is it going to influence those around me? Is it going to help lead them closer to God? Is it going to draw them into His presence? Or is it potentially going to drive them further away? And we ought to, we, I need to make decisions about life in that regard. Okay, let's look at uh, Galatians 2. Interesting situation here. We're familiar with Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. And this is kind of a little snippet of this. Uh, Justin, you want to read this? Galatians 2, 11 through 13. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. All right. There's, here's uh, Hannah's word, hip hypocrisy. <laughs> They had been saying, we're all equal. We're all one now in Christ. But when <coughs> push came to shove, and Jews were now brought into the mix of their association with Gentiles, they're like, oh, I don't think we want to be with you anymore. <laughs> and they left them alone, and their influence was such that it negatively impacted it negatively impacted even one of the of the nature as Barnabas. Um, so so was would you call that active or passive? Don't want to scare you off after. <laughs> I would call it passive. Okay, they they weren't that well that then that's the hypocrisy. Okay, they had said one thing, but then they acted another way. Barnabas, he too was involved. But 
if we if say the follow-up is his acting (laughs) okay go go ahead go ahead and read 14 sarah but when i saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel i said to cephas in the presence of all if you being a jew live like the gentiles and not like the jews how is it that you compelled the gentiles to live like jews yeah so yeah yeah then then uh paul uses Paul uses his influence <clears throat> active to turn Peter around. Okay. Right. Uh, my, one of my favorites here, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> And Katrina, if you would, uh, let's read verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot hide. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a sand. And it gives light to all the house, or all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I love verse fourteen. What a, what a reminder uh, that you and I are the light of the world. We are to have an influence. We see a picture of the influence of those in the kingdom. So, uh, we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Would you say that's primarily active or passive? I think it's passive. I do. Now, it doesn't mean there's not an active part of, of us being the light and sharing the good news, but uh, in a in a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week kind of life, the bulk of that's going to be passive. And uh, we are to let our lives shine so that God is glorified. And we've talked about this already. Again, I think probably more than not, this is going to be passive. It will involve some active. It needs to involve some active. Proverbs 27, verse 17 Yes, please. Um, I had a thought about the previous one. Shoot. Um, talking about active versus passive. Yes. I think in a lot of cases, a good passive influence lays a foundation for the, for people to be receptive to the active influence. Yeah, that's what we I think you see in Jesus's life that. He was, he made himself accessible and probably lived in such a way that he, he, he was approachable and, like you say, laid the foundation for him, for people then to receive his teaching. Yeah, thank you for that. Anybody else? Say along the same lines, it's like if you see somebody doing a task, not necessarily on the spiritual one, but doing something competently all the time and then you they say you may want to do this because you've seen how 
their active life plays out. Uh -huh. um, whenever they say that, you're more likely to trust them. And yes, you'll you'll handle your gun this way, or you'll um, pick up your crochet hooks that way, or whatever it is, um, because you've seen how their their life has played out, and so you you've learned to trust them and their um, their judgment. So when you need their active influence, you're more open to it. Okay. So maybe thinking thinking more about why why do I want to live a life that would be described as trustworthy, and and maybe a part of that is so that others would then be willing and ready to listen to, to the important things about eternity that I could share with them. Okay, very good. Thank you. Proverbs 27. Verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So, we are, we are simply to sharpen one another. Active or passive? Could be either one. Could be either one. All right. Uh, I like the analogy. I like the analogy. It makes me think of a, a whetstone. If you know what a whetstone is, you know? And there's, there's abrasiveness there. There's, there's friction. There's heat. There's metal being removed from uh, the knife edge. And so there's... There, there is an active part of that, but it can happen passively as well. Okay, I want to move quickly. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, because I want to get to this uh, Old Testament piece. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14 simply reads, And we urge you, brethren... Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. So we've got this idea of you admonish or warn, you encourage and comfort. Uh, maybe, maybe that carries some more active nature. And maybe this idea of helping or upholding and being patient with others is also a an influence for good. Maybe it's a little bit more passive. Okay, let's look next. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Uh, as they're getting ready to enter the land uh, here at the end of, of uh, the, the law of Moses, the, at the end of the uh, of these five books as they're getting ready to enter the land. Deuteronomy chapter 26 verses 18 and 19. Uh, Moses writes, And the Lord has today declared you to be His people, a treasured possession as He promised you, and that you should keep all His commandments, and that He has set you high above all nations which He has made for praise fame and honor, and that you be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as He has spoken. I don't know if I would have just read those verses. Um, 
I would have necessarily thought that God was, you know, putting them in a place to be an influence uh, for the world. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. You know, throughout the book of Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, throughout this book there is this phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord, is used repeatedly. And uh, here in this chapter we see it one more time. At least one more time. Actually, more than once. But start reading with me in verse 16. So I'm in Ezekiel 36, verse 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they had defiled it with their idols. Also I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. God intended, He intended for Israel to be the salt and the light, just as He expects us to be. And uh, uh, while arguably they were not successful in this, I think the, 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 the importance for us is, well, how am I doing? Uh, so, our next two lessons are going to uh, focus on the stewardship of the gospel. And I think this discussion is a really good springboard for that uh, study. And Bob will lead us in that. Thank you.